Echoplex Media is live Wednesday through Sunday on Twitch. Shows start at 7 or 9 p.m. Pacific. You can get our whole schedule at echoplexmedia.com. Make sure to follow us, twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Enjoy the show. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. Bitch, make me famous. Yeah. 
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do this show Fridays, 7 p.m., 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Media. We had a bit of a noodle summit this week and decided to keep this shitty project going. What's going on, Councilman? Uh, not much. Really enjoyed our noodle summit, actually. Um, still, still feeling the after effects a little bit, but it was delicious. Uh, <laughs> great to see you, as always. Uh, this is the Councilman. You can find me on Twitter if it's still there, uh, at T-H-E underscore Councilman. I'll be looking for some new social media um, opportunities out there. So please suggest uh, your favorite uh, new fangled social media sites, and I'd be happy to jump on those and give them a little test drive for you. Um, but mostly just, uh, you know, lurking in Los Angeles this week, as you can tell, I'm, a, I'm on the road in Southern California, attending the California Democratic Party Convention, um, first in-person one in quite a while. So can't wait to cause some shenanigans at the hospitality suites tonight after we, we wrap our little show and you move on to bingo and I'll give you a little report back next week. On the hospitality, you're in the hospitality suites. Yeah, well, I'm I'm in our suite right now at, uh, at the Radisson. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll be going to a lot of politicos and uh, PACs and other you know groups and organizations will host little soirees after hours at the conventions and uh, you know offer free ice cream and beer and socializing for all of the big wigs and just trying to curry favor with all of us delegates. Very nice, very nice. That is a hero move coming from on the road. And not for nothing, your hotel's Wi-Fi is actually better than the fucking connection you you hit me up from your house. That's just it serves me right for not setting up our mesh a little better at the house uh, sooner. So you'll you'll have we'll have a much better connection uh, at the house uh, starting next week. But yeah, this give it give it up to Marriott Bonvoy. So what do we got for leading off? Well, this is something you found actually, but um, it looks like a. BART decided they wanted to go, um, they, they needed new ridership, right? It's we're after we're post pandemic and the riders aren't coming back and they're worried about that. So it looks like they're probably trying to attract like a new younger audience, um, potentially track nine. I think she, she would definitely be down with this. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it looks like they're using uh, anime characters to try to bring ridership back to BART and we'll find out more from ABC. Well, check these out. These anime characters are just three of five introduced today by Bart. They have names like Nimbus and Bailey with their own character descriptions and their own personalities. Now, if this sounds a bit unusual for Bart, here's what's going on here. It's an effort to try to attract young people to help improve ridership, which, as you're going to see, has been dismal since the pandemic. And while it's slowly going up again, right, still dramatically down. Bart ridership last month averaged just over 157,000 weekday exits in April compared to more than 400,000 in April of 2019. So as you can see, a huge drop off there. ABC 7 News reporter Lena Howland joining us live now at Walnut Creek. Bart with a, a closer look at the new effort, Lena. Well, it's no secret that BART has been struggling. Their ridership numbers still have not returned to pre-pandemic levels just yet, which is creating a looming financial cliff. It's come to a point so serious where the agency and other state lawmakers have asked for a state bailout. But that's not stopping BART from doing everything they can to attract more riders here, bring more people back in a new and very different way. This is Bailey the Goat, an anime character who is supposed to be a star online influencer based in the Bay Area. And she was inspired by the grazing goats contracted by BART to reduce fire danger on their properties. She's one of five other characters, now dubbed as BART's new anime mascots, all created by artists right here in the Golden State. Oh, cool. 
Yeah. I like the bird. According to their website, Bart says these. I like the bird too. I like the bird. A young person will help us in our mission to promote <clears throat> public transportation use, especially among youth riders, a growing and reliable ridership demographic. Something daily riders like Bryant Baker say it adds to the sense of belonging. I think it's kind of nice because, like, it's a part of the Bay Area that's not like expanding out more you know when I was a kid it wasn't a bunch of anime stuff there now we're seeing like anime stuff everywhere which is I think it's kind of dope but this comes at a time when writers young person still has not returned to pre-pandemic levels I think if it gets people to ride Bart more that's great um, I think it's a really good public transit system um, he's a millennial honestly, I think the thing that's the bigger sticking point is just safety a Bay Area Council poll from earlier this month says 90% of former riders want to see more frequent cleaning. 79% would like to see better code of conduct enforcement. And 73% would like to see more uniformed police on BART. Changing one part, changing the promotion is not enough if you don't change uh, the service itself. Ivan Fedorenko, a marketing professor at Cal State East Bay, says... Well, certainly, not a, uh, certainly not a professor of audio engineering, my God. ...that even his own kids would be interested in seeing. He thinks BART has bigger priorities that still need attention. I'd say for a service like BART, keeping your current customers happy, keeping their business so they keep running with you, is so much more important and so much more profitable. He does his hits from a closet, obviously. One time passengers for, for one ride. And all five of these mascots will make their debut in person tomorrow at Fanime Con, which is in a very popular anime convention in downtown San Jose. Live in Walnut Creek, Lena Howland, ABC 7 News. I don't know they're cute, but I don't think it's like I don't think it's gonna like increase ridership. I mean it it might be part of a if they're gonna like redo their branding or whatever, sure, that's cool. Like and if yeah. it's part of a longer, like an overall like long term strategy, maybe. Right. But it, I I don't see you know, they showed the stats, right? The top three concerns, right? It was owner safety and et cetera. I, I I did not see uh new mascots on that list of top concerns of Bart riders. Yeah, I, I mean it like any so, transit, you make it you make it affordable, cheaper than cheaper and more efficient than taking your car. You make it clean, make it safe. People will take it, right? Yeah. The, the one thing, Simple. like the one thing, like the last time I was on Bart, it was really clean. But I, there's there's a thing mm -hmm. that people don't that I don't think most people understand. There's new Bart cars, yeah. and then there's the yeah. old ones, right? The ones that still have the poo stains, right? And <laughs> the old ones, there's nothing you can do about them. But we can't yeah. replace that with especially with the rider shortfall. All the old cars can't be replaced immediately. Right. So, um, like, yeah, I don't know. The, the one thing I don't like about the new cars is there's like no seating. Actually, if it was actually crowded, there's it's, yeah. there's a lot of open space. And the old Bart cars, like, there's just rows of seats, like as if people were going to ride it. And they they almost built the new Bart cars <laughs> as if nobody was going to be on them in the first place. Right. Or they're expecting people to take shorter rides and maybe like not sit down, you know, or right. just hop on for a stop or two. But um, yeah, I, I, again, I. I, I, this seems like something that was concocted in like a committee or a boardroom is just a one-off idea and not part of a more coherent, you know, longer-term strategy, which is really what they need, frankly. So I, I don't, you know, I, great. I'm sure some kids will be into it, but it's not going to, I don't think it's going to be the factor that makes them get on a BART or feel more welcome on BART. I think if, you know, if there's no one, you know, sitting next to them, you know, masturbating and shitting all over themselves, like that might help. Um, but other than that. I mean, I don't know. That used to be my, I don't know, maybe not the shitting so much, but like you used to, I, 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 
the weird shit you'd see on public transit used to be like the, the one of the reasons to take public to transit. Take public now transit. everybody's fucking terrified. I don't know why, man. I yeah, mean, I, mean you, I have some you, stories you, that I can't tell on air for sure about some of the shit I've seen on public transit. My God. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it runs the full gamut, right? Like you see performers who are like really damn good, right? Just pop squatting or uh, uh, busking on the, the train and it goes all the way to, you know, pretty gnarly shit. Right. So um, again, yeah, I don't think this is going to be the, the thing that brings people back to, to BART and public transit, but uh, we'll see. We will see. We will see. So <clears throat> I, I do appreciate the goats though. They, they're definitely giving it up for the goats. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, one of the, well, that's one of the things we appreciate around here the most. We have, oh, yeah. we have goat, we have goat emotes for the people in the chat. When other uh, channels raid our channel. Now we had go, we had a goat stampede. Now we just have goats discoing in like, yeah, we had the good wife and I saw some live goats today, actually. So I'll, show you, I'll, I'll send you some pictures later. Yeah, please do. Did you make friends? Or I mean, they're they're they were, they're kind of mean if they don't know you. Actually, they were very sweet. Um, goats. Actually, the one of them was very old. This this guy. That's a youngin. Oh yeah, cute, super cute. Um, if there wasn't a fence in front of him, we would have to make a meme. I know, right? <laughs> We've got some other shots. Anyway, um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, if Haley the goat brings back, you know, the Bart ridership from all the kids. I mean, if they're just trying to rebrand Bart and, you know, try to try to make some like, I don't know, that might not be the worst idea because nothing else seems to be working. So, yeah, sure. but, but we're like, going to move on to like, winners and losers. And I think that the problem isn't just Bart. I think the problem and I'm, I'm, maybe I'll maybe I'll wait until after this story. I, like, I know what the problem is, but um, here uh, experts, experts fear that uh, all of Bay Area mass transit might be in big trouble, actually. We begin with the growing push to fund Bay Area mass transit with advocates warning of a potential death spiral if the governor does not step in to help. Here's what the Bay Area transit agencies are facing right now. In the next fiscal year, BART is projected to have an operating deficit of $140 million. For Muni, that number is $130 million, and Caltrain is facing a $49 million deficit. The situation will get even worse for both BART and Muni as they run out of COVID relief money. That could lead to drastic service cuts. Our Jose Martinez is live in Millbrae with the Bay Area commuters who would be impacted. Jose. Yeah, it's very interesting how they're dealing with this here at Millbrae. We spent some time with two of them. One says he barely takes BART trains. He only takes it when he has to go to the airport. Now, the other one actually depends on it. And he says if they reduce the tr number of trains, he's going to be screwed this summer. I love riding here. Meet Joey Sanko, a Bay Area resident who used to rely on BART for his daily commute. However, today he finds the transit system too dangerous. I used to pre-COVID, but uh, since COVID, obviously nobody took it, right? But even now, post-COVID, it doesn't seem as safe as it was before, so I don't take it like I used to. I, don't, I, I just drive. We caught up with Joey as he was heading to the airport, the only reason he says he would take BART these days. But for other residents like Gerard Rujin-Gabigui, who doesn't own a car, BART and Caltrain are the only options for their daily commute. The trains are very helpful and um, I have been using the trains for the whole time. I haven't been uh, late to my normal 
services. He's a fellow at Stanford University. He takes the train to Palo Alto every day. For him, any reduction in train services during the summer would be a nightmare. And that could happen if BART and the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, which operates Muni, don't get a $5 billion bailout included in the state budget. I think it would be problematic if it stops. Yeah, you were telling us that you would have to take the bus. And yes, How yes. How long would that take you from your house to get to Stanford if you had to take the bus? More than an hour, yes. But for the train, it is 20 minutes. On Wednesday, Mayor London Breed sent a letter to state lawmakers urging them to include transit operations funding in the state budget. She emphasized that San Francisco's economy, still recovering from the pandemic, cannot fully rebound if its transit systems collapse. However, Governor Newsom has already mentioned that while he's open to transit funding proposals, the state is facing its own 31 billion budget gap and might not be able to provide any substantial financial assistance. So, if it happens, is that right? Because the, the, the intentions there, right? And the plans are there. But if they can't fund it and so forth, it still doesn't happen. So the bottom line is, if it doesn't happen, then we keep doing what, what's safer for us. Right now, a group of supervisors is also trying to get help. They are calling out to the state government to use federal highway funds to close the budget deficit. Back to you. So, I have an mm. idea. I, I would be, I would be surprised to find out that the crime has increased on BART. Um, it would be surprising to find out that it increased on light rail, and it would be very surprising to find out that maybe that it increased on uh, Muni. Or mm -hmm. uh, I would just be surprised to find out any of this. I just think that, <clears throat> I don't know what happened. Like, like at some point coming out of the pandemic as things got back, to, I mean, not coming out of the pandemic, there's still a pandemic out there, but coming out of the restrictions for the pandemic, people came back into the, into the city life and they're terrified of it. Yeah. No, it, it seems like it, right? Like people, I guess they didn't realize that they were living in a city before, right? And suddenly, Yeah. Welcome back. Um, I, uh, this is a, this is a tough nut right now, man. I don't. Uh, it's like a chicken and the egg thing. I don't know what what uh, what these folks are going to do uh, until the ridership comes back. They don't have the even Caltrain, which is pretty good as far as recouping from free, from fees, right? Uh, fee recovery, as they call it. Um, even they're struggling right now, so it uh, it's dicey. And Bart's trying to expand, right? They're still they're spending a bunch of money to expand into San Jose, and uh, the you know. If the money dries up, what happens to that project? So there's a lot of big questions in the air. Right so now. It's, it's 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 a mess, right? Because the way to increase ridership is to make it better, and making it better mm -hmm. literally means more frequent trains, frequent right. like convenience. Yeah. People, I don't people, like the the fucking news can drama queen about crime all day long, and it doesn't matter if the convenience increases. If it's more, if there's more trains, if the if, yes. if you get to your destination more quickly, it's not going to yes. matter so much that the news is drama queening about um, about crime or whatever on the on transit. People are going to tend to take it if it goes yeah. the other way, and the news is drama queening about probably I I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm guessing more or less the same amount of like crime per mile tra per like train mile traveled on the on the system. Then it's not going to get better, and it's I don't know. But I, I also have like a, a like a more like a, a more broad like 
cultural like critique here. Everybody here thinks they rich. Everybody here thinks they rich and they think mm-hmm. that, that that shit is that the fucking train is for poor people. Right. right. And that's what that's one of the main things. It's not like a like in real cities people don't like it's only west coast cities and Portland's way better than us. The max is great. A lot of people yeah. take the max in Portland. Uh Seattle the transit's eh, it's not so great. And in LA the transit's almost fucking non-existent. But like right. you go to the east coast where there's all these cities next to each other and they're like denser the whole area like the northeast is just denser more broadly people take a train between metro areas to go to work that's mm-hmm. how that's their commute yeah absolutely and some some do that here right their capital corridor ace things like that i've never ridden that myself um not a lot not a ton right it's not like not like slammed or packed but it's like like you said it's sort of like a natural order of business like there's no caste system with public transit in like a new york right like everyone rides the subway like warren buffett rides the subway and you know the person who cleans the toilets at warren buffett's building rides the subway right uh so we're all on it and we're all in they're all in it we're all in it together and there's this kind of sense of you know universal uh camaraderie and 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 it's kind of where we all show up for each other really is in public transit in other cities right here it's you're right you're incredibly right like when i made the decision um to take a because i went to a private high school um, so there was no bus, right? So I had to take, if I wanted to take the bus or wanted to get to school, you know, uh, on my own, I had to take the bus, the public bus. So I did it. You wouldn't believe the, the shit I had to take, right? From, or maybe you would from like classmates or even like relatives, you know, relatives, my aunt, like, oh my God, he's taking, you know, councilman's taking the, bu- the public bus to school. Is he going to be safe? You know, um, he's only 14. You're like, <laughs> uh, what the fuck do you think's happening on the bus, aunt, auntie? Right, like I can handle myself for like the whatever ten blocks it takes to ride, or what, two miles to ride the bus to school. Um, Fourteen-year-olds so, can run too. Amazing, that right? Um, so I, there is definitely like a, a stigma or some sort of you know like privilege layer here where everybody, even like if if, they, if you can afford to have a car, suddenly like you shouldn't ever you know public transit's beneath you somehow because you have a car or because whatever, right? But you're right, it, it, it's is treated as you know, poor people's transit, right? And not just public transit. You know, even just having lived in San Francisco myself, like when I lived, I lived at fucking church and market. That was, a, everybody there had money. Mm-hmm. Everybody took the underground. Yeah. That's how totally. we got places. Everybody yeah. grabbed, even people with cars, they didn't drive. They're like, they're like, we're, oh, you know, a girl, we're going out in the mission or we're going to, we're going to South of market. We mm-hmm. got on the bus at like seven or eight to go out, we'd go out of dinner and then we'd just take a fucking cab up home back from the mission, back to the, back to the Castro. Yeah. And or even if you take the bus back or the train, you, you're safe, right? You, you can get drunk as you want. You can party down and you get home safely and, you know, efficiently. If you were, if you were really, if you were really feeling yourself, you just walk from the mission back to, uh, back to the Castro. It was like two and a half or three miles, but like if you That's were, if you, if you were with friends or whatever. I'm telling you, a a city mile is a lot different than a fucking suburb mile, right? A suburb mile is depressing. And I think that you feel it. You feel every single step in a suburb mile. (laughs) And I I think that like, it's not just transit. It's like people don't walk as people Mm -hmm. aren't walking, you know, unless you're Mm -hmm. in like the city center. Like if you're in the city center, you'll walk a mile and a half to go somewhere. But if you're in the burbs, you're going to take your car that same mile and a half. And I don't know. Is I don't know what it is. I think it's just culture. And I think people just think that it is. People just think that, like, if you're walking, it must be because you have to, not because it, it's a way to get places. Or, like, I remember sometimes I'd get on the 
<clears throat> if I'd go into work like on a Saturday, like when I had to commute to the north side, I'd, you know, get mm-hmm. on the train kind of late in the day, you know, 11 noon, because I was looking to go to work for a couple hours. Sometimes maybe I'd go there because my office had central air and my apartment did not. Um, but these these fucking rich ladies from Los Gatos, I'd see them. They're it's not the same ones, but I'd regular, yeah. they'd get on the train and they'd be like, it's so clean. They'd be like, this is so cute. And most of the time I'd be like, hey, did you know that people use this to get to work? Right. <laughs> sometimes they, sometimes, sometimes they couldn't tell that I was talking shit to them and sometimes they could. And, but never, they were like, oh, they were like, wait, I, I would ride this. One of the ladies was like, I would ride this to work. And I'm like, well, we'll talk to Los Gatos, talk to your city. Cause this was supposed to go out to Vasona. Right. And then, y'all, <laughs> and then your people in your community said, uh-uh. Right. You now know, you got you this know. bus that goes from fucking downtown Los Gatos that all it like writes your name in this fucking West side on its way to the Winchester light rail. <laughs> like, but it's, it's a cultural thing. And I think it it's, I think is. it's yeah. West, West coast car culture is a big part of it. And I, it, sure. the, a car as a status symbol is a part of it too. Yeah. Um, and, and there's, you're, you're absolutely right. hundred percent about the culture, cultural aspect. And it goes down to the, the folks who, you know, we hear a lot <laughs> out in our city streets. Um, you know, the guys that are dirt poor, right. They're, they're working three or four jobs or, you know, uh, working class. They've got kids, they've got mortgage or rent to pay. And they're driving around some fabulous whip, right? Like that, that they spend a bunch of money on. Right. Um, they have no money for anything else, but they got mon- enough money to have this whip that looks good and they can roll around it. Um, if you got kids, if you got kids, it's different. If you got, if you want to mm-hmm. have a nice, comfortable, safe car for your kids, that's different. The, the ones that bother me are like the single people. Like there was a yeah, guy yeah. I knew, there's a guy I knew he worked at Cisco and lived like he could see the Campbell light rail station. And I had, I explained to him, I'm like, dude, did you know that that, that light rail station over there will take you basically to the front steps of your work? <laughs> you just, won't even have to transfer right and you sit sit right there and just relax you can sleep you want to sleep i Go for it. he eventually did started doing it a few days a week and because i told him i'm like you know what i do i start reading my email i start working when i get on the train i start right. taking care of stuff that i don't need to necessarily be in the office for then it right. shortens my day my commute becomes part of my work day right you but become people, more efficient at work right your your, your boss might appreciate you know, the, the efficiency aspect of it too. Maybe they should pay to you know, give you a public transit pass and maybe they should lobby the city and county governments to create better transit options for their employees, right? Especially well, if you're a Cisco, right? And you've well, got Cisco thousands. does. Cisco actually yeah. gives VTA money. Oh, 100%, 100%. Like they better, right? Their, their service so heavily by them. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you would get on, if you get on light rail at like eight or nine in the morning, I have a lot of Cisco badges. A lot of people do sure. ride it. Better, but, yeah. But better. it's like, it's, it's just crazy it's it doesn't make any sense like the way people sort of think about transit and as you would think that as maybe other things in your life get more expensive uh spending more time you know spending the 60 or 70 bucks on the transit pass and using that as much as possible would be a good way to kind of offset a little bit of like what's going on with inflation but i think I don't think people think of it that way. I think they really, you know, they're like, well, I got to walk to the train station. That's 10 minutes. All right. It's only five bucks for a gallon of gas. Right. You could, it's only six bucks for a gallon of gas. It's only seven bucks for a gallon of gas. You know, it's like while you're walking on the way, you could, you could listen to a podcast or something like you'd be fine. You listen to down ballot on your way to the light rail station. Come on. (laughs) Learn things. You can learn a thing or two. 
So let's move right. on. I could talk about this all fucking day, oh, but sure. we, we, sure. I we do have, have another show to, to do after this one at some point. So <laughs> we have other losers to get to here. Yeah. So, so this is uh, San Francisco seeks more ideas on fighting the fentanyl crisis, uh, fighting, following a chaotic forum. Oh, yeah. this is, this is awful. This We're going to find out more later terrible california is dealing with a drug crisis the state department of justice says nearly 12,000 people died from overdoses last year we've seen it here in san francisco in fact here's video taken by one of that's just somebody hitting a bong before the mayor gave a speech at un plaza the california department of health says there were close to 400 fentanyl related deaths in san francisco in 2021 that, is that person's doing cocaine increase over 2019 Today, there was a rally for what advocates are calling recovery on demand. This while San Francisco Mayor London Breed is calling for more of a crackdown on people using drugs out in the open. Wilson Walker has the story. You know, people are struggling on our streets and they need to find hope. And we as a community need to inspire change within them. People are dying every day on our streets. Another day, another event aimed at taking control of San Francisco's drug crisis. This one organized by a growing group of recovery advocates that want to make it easier for people to get help by offering recovery on demand. A simple concept, have a bed available when someone needs it. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised to hear that that's not the case right now. That is, that is not the case at all in San Francisco. Right now it takes around 10 days to get into treatment. While this push for change is coming largely from outside of City Hall, the mayor's office is. is plotting changes as well. A pilot program that will allow police to detain people, quote, when someone is so far under the influence of drugs that they may pose a danger to themselves or others, unquote. Now, details will be announced next week, but many of the city's yeah, service providers say it will be a disaster. You can call this whatever you want to call it, but when you're prioritizing a carceral approach to people who use drugs that need help, you're going to drive the overdose rates up. Divisions over how to help users and manage dealers are becoming old fault lines in San Francisco. What's new are the growing calls to try something different, even if they have to make it happen themselves. And we're gonna make this change starting today. So the episode at UN Plaza just another step along the way with gears moving in all sorts of directions. Different people with different philosophies trying to come up with solutions. Things do need to change out here. The question is what does that look like and how long is it going to take? Wilson, thank you. Police arrested a woman during yesterday's public gathering at UN Plaza who they say threw a brick hitting a child nearby. She's now facing charges of assault and child endangerment. Oh, I think that's our next story. Yeah, I think that's about the same thing. Maybe we should just run right to that one. Yeah, we're going to just run right into this next story here. Apparently, somebody threw a brick at the uh, San Francisco mayor. Hello, I'm Sarah Donchi. Everyone agrees it is bad. Terrible. Oh, it's the st same footage of the bong. Uh, same, same network. It's their B-roll. We need B-roll of people doing drugs. The mayor and top city leaders meeting today to announce their plans to address it or... At least they tried. The meeting was outside in the middle of UN Plaza and it got contentious. But here is what our cameras caught right around the corner, steps away, that you won't see on other stations tonight. Bad 
Babe, I need to jump. Babe, I need to jump. All that rampant drug use in plain view, we spotted what looked like a young girl in a school uniform walking right on by there as people were smoking. You don't give a fuck. Up, and we saw this no. man. Like I see it every day. Whatever. That's Joe. That's Mary. So let's bring in Betty Yu. Betty, this was all steps from City Hall, we know. Uh, <laughs> I like that pan over. Here's Betty. Shouted out of a public forum about this same subject. That's right. And this was a very long plan and rare meeting that didn't last very long at all. It took place at one of the worst drug hotspots in the city, meant to draw urgency to the drug crisis and deteriorating street conditions in San Francisco. I run into people day in and day out in the Tenderloin, and they say, London, we would have never been allowed to get away with this stuff back in the day. And the fact is, it's time for a change. We want to get people help, but we will not continue to allow things to just occur as they have been. Mayor London Breed spoke forcefully as she called for a tougher approach to dealing with the brazen open-air drug crisis during a special session held at UN Plaza, the epicenter of the problem. It wasn't hard for our cameras to find people openly using drugs nearby, in the shadow of City Hall. I think they should give us housing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's 276,000 millionaires in this The off-site meeting was called by Supervisor Aaron Peskin, who said while the problem isn't new, it's become so visible many San Franciscans don't feel safe. Within minutes, the meeting turned chaotic. So my question to the mayor is, will you now, as we do... Peskin had just begun to ask the mayor to set up an emergency operations center that would coordinate city agencies around shutting down open-air drug markets within 90 days. And in fact, our local resources have increased, but it is not dealt with the problem based on the magnitude of what we're experiencing. Protesters quickly shouted down the meeting, and witnesses said someone threw a brick, injuring a teen, before being subdued by the crowd and police. The meeting was moved to City Hall. We are proposing changes to our state law, and we will be enacting local programs to try to end this disruptive behavior. The mayor also spoke passionately about the next generation growing up in the city. Why should someone else's rights be put before their needs and their safety and what they deserve too in a place like San Francisco that claims to be so compassionate and liberal? What about them? Okay, obviously a lot of tough talk from Mayor Breed. We've heard that from her before, to be clear. What is her plan to actually get this into action? We heard some specifics. At 209. Urge the board to work together Police. to for public safety budget and also support programs and Robot. legislation, even at the state level, to change our laws. She also asked these supervisors to support arrests for those struggling with drug addiction, even especially when they break the law. Okay, Betty, thank you so much. So okay, well... <clears throat> I mean, if you're accused of a crime, you're oftentimes arrested. So that's, that is what it is. <clears throat> I just don't, I don't, this is, I feel like I'm starting to get the impression now the London breed is politically um, ambitious and that she has eyes well beyond the mayor of San Francisco. I, I don't have my bell with me. I forgot to bring it. Ding. Yeah. Ab oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. I think ever. uh, you know, Kamala Harris, Gavin Newsom, the, everyone's starting to see San Francisco as a political uh, springboard. Uh, and there's a, there's so many issues you can get in, in uh, invested in. You can get invested in uh, 
you know, political from political angles and values that are you know unique to San Francisco. Like like London Breed, I mentioned like Ed Two Hundred Nine, right? She's a tough on crime police, you know, first kind of a mayor, right? Um, and uh, in San Fr- you think in San Francisco, well, that doesn't compute, right? Well, there's plenty of folks there, and there's plenty of folks everywhere that are um, on board with that that mentality. Obviously, she got elected. Um, and she's using that, right? She's using, I think she's using this as a way to say, eventually when she tries to break out of San Francisco and go, you know, statewide or maybe national, she can say, oh, look, you know, I I came out of liberal San Francisco, but I was tough on crime. I was, you know, I, I did this and that and the other thing. I was, you know, I was a tough conservative uh, on these particular issues, right? So you can trust me, Republicans, you can vote for me, um, even though I'm the, you know, the, the scary black lady from, from San Francisco, right? Or the liberal black lady from San Francisco. So uh, I, I think she's certainly you know, trying to create a narrative for herself, whether it's for another office or it's just legacy, right? Um, or whatever she's going to do post-mayorship. Um, yet to be seen, but you're right. She's, she's certainly crafting a narrative. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't, I just don't think that, like, I don't remember a time when San Francisco, when there wasn't just people using drugs, like, openly in San Francisco. Right, and I think like, it's back to that, what we've what we've been talking about a lot on Down Ballot, right, which is sort of this this tech bro attitude of, of, of narrative of, oh, this, you know, city's going straight to hell, and our city, in general, right, our cities are going to hell, and there's, you know, crime is up, and yada, 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 and it's never been this bad, um, when in fact, violent crime is down, right, we know property crime is up a little bit, but it's, it's, it fluctuates, but violent crime over time and property crime over time, over decades, is down. Uh, we're, we're moving towards being a more safer society, period. It just doesn't appear that way because all you hear on Nextdoor and all you hear from our city leaders and all you hear from the people that are in charge and, and media, right, the people that have control over what we think and, and know and understand, for the most part, not you and me, obviously, but uh, the general population, um, they hold so much sway and all they talk about is violence and all they talk about is are, are these, these uh, sort of starker, crime narrative right when really we could be talking about what we can do to help like that woman said like we need housing we need things that help people the guys like you know we need these people need help they don't need jail right um they don't need to be taken in to custody because they can't whatever they're a threat to themselves or someone else they need help um so we're, we're that's the one thing that's the one thing that's tragic about all this is while london breed is posturing for politics and aaron peskin's posturing no one's actually helping these people we're just letting them letting it go on yeah um, i mean we'll see what happens but it's funny it's well, it's not funny it's kind of i mean it's like not haha funny it's like ironic yeah, funny yeah that when when london breed she's been out there kind of uh pushing this narrative basically that san francisco is a shithole and then somebody else calls san francisco a shithole and she like fucking clutches her pearls and shit it's like well dude yo you've been calling the place a shithole like with you know what i mean like what what, what only you get yeah. to do that right apparently it's, it's like that yeah only we can call our city shitty i guess that's the thing um, well, speaking of calling your city shitty or trying to keep your city shitty, Los Altos Hills. Oh God, here we go. I, I, I just, just the fact that it's Los Altos Hills. I, I already know it's, it's, it's rich people, rich people be wiling out. Rich people, not really liking poor people. In the Bay, making it in the Bay, seemingly on hold on the peninsula as a battle brews over a proposed housing development. Several Los Altos Hills homeowners have a spirited meeting with the city manager about how it's managing some proposed developments that could go around the town's zoning rules. NBC Bay Area's Chris Sanchez has been following the story very closely for us. She joins us from Los Altos Hills with more on the projects that could really change the way that the town looks. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, Laura, in just the last few hours, those homeowners did meet with the city manager uh, and communities all across California are really in the same boat. They are under pressure and under requirement, I should say, by the state to come up with more affordable and moderate priced housing. The folks that we spoke with here in Los Altos Hills say it's, they don't have a problem with that. They have a problem with how the city is going about allowing that. Of course. Happen. <laughs> of course. Oh, we want it. We just don't want this one or the one you proposed the last time or the one you proposed the time before that. And can I just point out before we've started up again, this is a it's qualified as a protest. And really, this is like a bunch of white neighbors who got a meeting with the city manager because they were pissed about what the city was doing. So like this isn't a protest like outside city hall with pickets like these are people that were invited in and had a, got a meeting because uh, because Los Altos Hills city manager and residents met but we did hear some shouting and we did hear threat of a lawsuit against the town for not coming up with a plan for affordable housing rather than allowing projects to go around local ordinances under the state's builders remedy provision now that provision allows builders to override local zoning laws for projects that include at least 20 percent low-income housing units or 100 percent moderate income units los altos Hills currently allows one unit per acre. What? Now, according to today's update what? on the state's Department of Housing yeah, and Community yeah. Development website, the town's housing plan is not in compliance with the state's requirement, which then opens the door to those builders to move forward without town approval. Now, several homeowners in that closed-door meeting told us they support the affordable housing in Los Altos Hills. They welcome it, they say, but they want to have a say so that the plan works for the people who live here and not just for those developers. So we were supposed to have a dialogue. We were supposed to be able to move the ball to get something a little more appropriate. And as I say, we were handed a lawyer and, and a city manager, nobody that has any authority to do anything. Los Altos Hills needs 20 to 40 distributed sites where the people that come to live in this community live as part of this community. They do not need to be put into a segregated site in an inappropriate location. Now, within the last 10 minutes, I got a statement from the Los Altos city manager that reads, in part, the town of Los Altos Hills remains dedicated to fostering a diverse and inclusive community where housing opportunities are accessible to all residents. We appreciate the concerns expressed by the protesters and recognize the urgency of addressing the issue of affordable housing. Our ongoing collaboration with HCD, which is the Housing and Community Development Department from the state <laughs> and public, demonstrates our commitment to transparency public engagement and the pursuit of sustainable solutions. Uh, that statement from the city manager also says that the new plans are now added to the city's website so people can now take a look at them and that they will begin with more uh, robust civic engagement so people like the ones you heard from have a, a better say in how this is going to look. Uh, the residents say they will appeal to the state's Department of Housing and Community Development. If that doesn't work, they say they could sue the city or the town in Los Altos Hills. Chris Sanchez, NBC Bay Area. Looks I think everybody's trying to sue everybody, right? Yeah, and let's be clear. It is a town, by the way. Los Altos Hills is a, a town, and that makes perfect sense. Um, but yeah, the, 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 so they actually buried the lead here. So the, the whole point of this is that the city hasn't, and a lot of cities haven't gotten their housing plans in compliance with what the state is requesting. Um, and because of that, there was a deadline, and if you don't hit that deadline, 
then yeah, developers can kind of kind of skirt the rules, but not really. I mean, they just, they uh, they just don't have to you know follow certain certain uh, obstacles. But yeah, if you're living in a town that ha- allows one unit per acre, probably not. You could probably live with a little more density. I'm just saying, <laughs> maybe. Um, but I mean, if you've been to Los Altos Hills, you can kind of understand uh, understand that. But it is a little bit of a yeah, I don't, rural kind of a town. I don't, I don't know exactly how they're going to fix this. Maybe this, this, you know, the, the the place probably isn't set up for it. But there's like places that are near the freeway, and like you could you could put like you would. <clears throat> I mean, that's where I'd put the housing is like near transit to the extent that they have it near the freeway that's where i'd mm-hmm. put it all because that's like well first of all that's where the people are going to complain the least like let's be honest right 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 the, the 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 super nimby people don't have a bus stop that goes down their streets so that's <laughs> true yeah and generally speaking i mean city plan that's the funny thing like the guy was saying we we didn't get you know we we had a complaint and we didn't get anyone of authority we just got the city manager it's like the city manager is the ceo of the city i don't know or the town i don't know if you guys realize right, they that, have authority they have all the authority, right? They the only person they answer to is the town council, right? So uh, they can do they can do whatever they they want just about within reason. Um, yeah, this is just another hilarious situation of you know we we weren't heard in just really what happened was they didn't get what they wanted, right? It wasn't they weren't heard; they were heard. They actually got a meeting with the city manager. You know how I mean in a town like Los Altos Hills, maybe that's a little easier, but like San Jose. You have to wait like weeks, months sometimes to get a, like a one-on-one with the city manager, especially if you're just residents complaining about a zoning code or something like that's ridiculous. There's no, you wouldn't even get that meeting. You would get like a low level planning department staffer come and tell you that you're full of shit. So yeah, good, good, <laughs> good on them for telling these people to go stuff it. Um, but yeah, they do need to, most cities need to figure out their housing elements or there will be more issues like this where, you know, developers who aren't interested in building affordable housing are going to come through and try to skirt rules. Um, so they, they do need to get their plans together. Um, but, uh, I, I, I've, I've, it's all crocodile tears from the residents, honestly, like, oh my God, there might be like a two story house next door to my house. Right. Or an apartment complex or an apartment. Yeah. God forbid someone's renting an apartment in my town. <sighs> all right. Up next, we got, we, uh, it looks like the LA Dodgers need to get their shit together. And I think we'll just let the uh, local news tell us, uh, why do it. They say any publicity is good publicity, and San Francisco's sister Roma has never shied away. And a lot of people who thought they knew who we are and misunderstood us now understand us better, and people who never heard of us have now learned who we are. She's been a member of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence for 35 years, and she's heard the criticism. A group that specifically targets, mocks, denigrates, ridicules Catholics, is not a message of inclusivity. Senator Marco Rubio joined the calls to pull the sisters' invite from Dodgers' Pride Night festivities. The Archdiocese of San Francisco thanked the Dodgers after they did. Do you see how they could take offense that you could be mocking some of their values? I understand their initial, like, the knee-jerk reactions. We actually do the work of nuns. We feed the hungry. We minister to the sick. We support queer and trans youth. And now other groups are ditching the Dodgers event in support of the sisters, like Out Loud Sports, a queer athletic league. They have to be mindful that our community stands together. And if you don't recognize all of us, you're just being performative. 
The ACLU of Southern California also says they will not participate, writing the Dodgers, which broke the color line in baseball in 1947 by signing Jackie Robinson, were champions of inclusion. 76 years later, they take a giant step backward, banning a long-standing drag charity. The battle lines are being drawn at a time when anti-trans legislation is passing in several red states across the nation. Sister Roma tries to understand the Dodgers' position. And they got the blowback and they just weren't ready for it. And they didn't know how to react. So it sounds like you are sympathizing with them a little bit. You know, I am actually sympathizing with the Dodgers a little bit, believe it or not. And I'm probably, I'm probably going to be canceled for oh this. Hi. Uh, you wish that we'd be canceled together? <laughs> and at that moment, a man crashes our interview to tell Sister Roma how much she means to the LGBTQ community. All right, you too. For me, for us. Yes. Can, can you do that? Yes, baby. No. Okay. I mean, You're not going to cry. I think I am. These are the moments that Sister Roma says she knows that she's doing the right thing. Because you, you're part of what makes this city the greatest city in the world. Oh, my goodness. No. Thank you. We rely on you. <laughs> Outside of the San Francisco bubble, there have been rumors that the Dodgers might change their minds. I hope that it works out and everybody can come to an understanding. In the meantime, Sister Roma is choosing to see the bright, even glittery side of the situation. So we got word from chat that they were actually invited back. So that's, oh, I, yeah, I know that they, they definitely reverse course, which is. So that's nice. Good. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's just, it, I, I thought it was great. A uh, really great point about Jackie Robinson, actually. The Dodgers were the first team that uh, uh, fielded a black player, uh, Jackie Robinson, in 1947. Um, broke the color barrier in baseball. So, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. And also, uh, we're really big on bringing uh, Latinos into the game, Fernando Valenzuela um, and others. So, it's, yeah, it's kind of ironic that they were the ones kind of uh, forcing us back. This more than likely was an executive ownership kind of a thing. Maybe they're Republicans and they're donors to Marco Rubio. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, good, good on them for reversing course, but very interesting that it was the, the Dodgers. So glad that they got their shit together, but just another, I, 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 I don't understand how a baseball team in Los Angeles gives two bucks about what a Senator from, you know, from Florida thinks. But. Well, no, I think they probably got like, they were probably being harassed by like individual people. It wasn't just Marco Rubio, right? Like, I think that <clears throat> there's this, there's a, just a big kind of political movement to suggest that anybody presenting themselves in a non like non-conforming way is a going to abuse your children essentially and that's Correct. what's going on so they were getting calls probably at their home office from people all across the country calling the Dodgers a bunch of groomers and shit I'm um, sure yeah right and same with like the, the drag Can you talk closer time. to your mic so people mm -hmm. can hear you Oh yeah yeah and same with thing like drag queen story time right and they're just going to they're going to turn all our kids gay, you know, God, you know, God help us all. It's just this reactionary crap that we need less of. So as long as we keep calling them out, I good, good on them for reversing course. They should have had to in the first place, right? It's one of those, one of those things where they should have done the right thing the first time. And so, and actually they did. I mean, they, they invited these folks. It wasn't like the sisters said, Hey, can we be a part of your LA pride party? Right. And they said, no, right. We're full up or whatever. They invited them. And then, got blowback and said oh no you can't come it's like and oh now you can because you're getting blowback from us like okay so what happens next when like you know trump or someone else comes and says oh this is wrong 
You know, are you going to reverse course again? So we'll, we'll keep an eye on them. We'll keep an eye on them. I'm going to go grab something for her to put in her mouth here. She's very right, well, right now. All right. I'll be right back. I've seen this story next story, so you can so, you can run this and we're gonna, we'll talk about it on the other side. We're going to move on to Down Ballot Watch. Um, this is a story about the Cupertino City Council that we've been covering. Uh, some of the city council members have been uh, stripped of their committee assignments, and things are not going so well for the Cupertino City Council. There has already been a scathing civil grand jury report and an independent investigation by an outside law firm. The end result is the city council here in Cupertino is in virtual chaos. You know, city council special meeting today. This is a special meeting by the Cupertino City Council last Tuesday, and it was rocky from the get-go. The agenda tonight contemplates referral to the district attorney, which means that I must recuse myself because there is a foreseeable financial impact to myself and my family. Thank you all and have a good evening. Councilwomen Kitty Moore and Liang Chow were at the center of the controversy and both spoke before recusing themselves. The political power brokers have tried to influence and muzzle the city council and staff through anonymous, undisclosed interviews. A short time later, their council colleagues stripped them of their committee assignments. And now there is a move to perhaps censure the duo. This independent investigation mirrored the report by the civil grand jury accusing the council members of poor treatment of city staff and circumventing council member protocols, including going around the city manager on certain issues. And that's not how a city is supposed to work. Neil Park McClintock is with the group Cupertino for All. So you take an already overworked staff and then you basically tell them, hey, so I want you to go find 7,000 pages of stuff to go through and find these specific things that I'm looking for, that's uh, untenable. The report says the actions have led to high turnover among senior staff members. In an email to NBC Bay Area, Moore said the report ignored her comments about why she had multiple concerns over the years about certain decisions. And she said she needs to ask a lot of tough questions to be able to make tough decisions. Yes, I am proud of my service in office. Former Mayor Darcy Paul might be in legal trouble himself. The council claims Paul might have been involved in criminal activity while in office by also allegedly circumventing the city manager. The city attorney will take Ms. Dobby's report mm -hmm. and turn it into the district attorney's office. Basically, with a re referral from us saying, can you please look at this and investigate? Uh, okay. Investigate only, only this thing. Only the hiring and firing decisions. Yeah. The former mayor did not return our messages to his law office seeking comment. Councilwoman Chow and Mayor Hung Wei also did not return our messages. In Cupertino, Damian Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. I don't know enough about what's going on there, really, but, um, you know, those people should maybe, like, step down or, or something along those lines. I don't even, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on, and um, I'm, I guess, kind of flying solo, I guess, so. It's, no, it, I'm, I'm here. It's, uh, it's, it's nuanced. I mean, it's, it's definitely a political tit for tat, right? Cupertino's just been a mess for a long time now, um, whether it's the Valco development or anything else. It's just a... There's an obvious divide here between, like we were just talking about in the, in the previous story, you know, uh, folks who are, or the Los Altos story, sorry, sorry, folks who are down for housing and folks who are not, right? Folks who are down for more density and down for being a city and folks who want to be Mayberry forever. Um, and that's what you're dealing with here, only it's at the council level, right? So you've got a couple of council members who've opened themselves up to criticism by being probably a little too harsh with staff, but they're also the ones that are anti-housing, right? And they're in the minority on the council. 
So the majority in the council is using this as an opportunity to attack them and to, to try and take them down a notch. Um, but it's also true that they are, you know, they're not, I don't want to say staff abusers. There's certainly plenty of those out there in elected official land. Um, but they're certainly overstepping their rights and their, and their purview. Like we said with the Los Altos story, again, city manager kind of runs the town. Like in the same thing in, in Cupertino, they're on the same kind of form of government where the city manager runs the, the show. And the council, as the council, you really have to go through them. Like you're not allowed to just, you know, not allowed. I mean, you can do it, but you, it's not prudent to just go straight to like a, you know, entry level staffer at city hall and say, can you get me this? Right. You have to go through protocols like anyone else. Right. So that, that's really what they're calling out here. But it is, it is. And the people that are getting called out are right. It is a little political gamesmanship, but they open themselves up to it. So um, we'll, we'll see what comes, comes down. But again, it all comes back to this. It's like a proxy war over development, which we see quite a bit in the South Bay right now. And I'm um, not for nothing. Uh, it's not like Cupertino isn't like a, like, I don't know what the, like, Cupertino is already dense. Yeah, I mean it's it's getting and it's getting there too. It's it's like it's it's getting dense in the places and the spaces and the amount that folks are comfortable with at this point. But the the Valco project was a huge the redevelopment of Valco, the, the huge mall out there in Cupertino, which is now like the land is pretty much vacant. It's just sort of sitting there waiting. Um, part of it's been redeveloped. Uh, that was a huge issue. It went to the ballot a couple times, I think, um, and it's caused a lot of a lot of rift and a lot of uh, vitriol and bad blood in the city, so in the town, and it's made city leaders, I think, a little bit, you know, um, what's the word? Tr not trigger happy, but a little, bit, a little bit scared, right? A little bit, a little bit uh, sketchy about moving forward with projects because they don't know what kind of blowback they're going to get. Um, so it's unfortunate, but uh, it goes on. We'll, we will continue to keep an eye on it in our in our mode here down ballot. We're so, following up these days, so we're going to be following up on the uh, Oakland uh, school district thing, and I don't know if this is a uh... I don't know if this is a, a winner or a loser here because I didn't follow this up, but it looks like uh, the teachers got paid. Yeah, we threw it in a down ballot because I think they did. There are some winners here, so let's hear more from NBC Bay Area. Right now at 11, returning to the classroom, but with time ticking down with the end of the school year, that stress is ticking up. We're live with a big task ahead after Oakland students and teachers were out of school for more than a week due to a strike. Good morning and thanks so much for joining us. I'm Laura Garcia. And I'm Marcus Washington. As we speak, teachers and students at Oakland Unified, they're back in the classroom. And with graduation and the last day of school coming up next week, the stress of the strike will morph into stress just to get everything done in time. NBC Bay Area's Chris Sanchez joins us live with reaction to this new deal. Chris? Well, I have a freshman high school student and a junior high school student, and I know how they would have felt if they had missed the second to last week of school. These students felt exactly the same here at Oakland Unified as, as you said, uh, graduation and the last day of school are coming up next week. But now that there is a tentative agreement in place, everybody's back where they're supposed to be. The Oakland Unified superintendent and the president of the Oakland Teachers Union both agree that it's good to have some stability moving forward. Muy feliz porque ya van a empezar las clases de nuevo y pues no se van a perder el año. We talked with parents at Oakland High who are feeling relieved that the teacher's strike is finally over and kids are getting back to class. Students walking into school today know they have a lot of work to make up in a short amount of time. Hopefully school does stay back because um, I kind of want to get my final grades too. I feel like everybody frustrated though like I don't know teachers was out there striking for a week and so like now they have to come back and do like grades before like Friday and everything. So it's just it's just crazy to be honest. Yeah. Do you think it's going to affect your grades? Uh, 
For me personally, I'm chilling. I don't know about everybody else. <laughs> I like him. The classroom is a $70 million package that will mean an average pay raise of 15%, a one-time $5,000 stipend, and a promise from the district to hire more counselors, librarians, nurses, and performing arts teachers. Oakland Unified also made some common good agreements, including providing resources for unhoused students, revisiting school closure policies, and creating a task force to explore reparations for black students. During the morning drop-off, we talked with some parents who say that despite the timing of the strike for their kids, they support teachers fighting for that better contract. Um, I believe teachers deserve everything. That salary is not enough for them, I know. I can, I can say that, yeah. They deserve it. Overcrowding classrooms, crazy kids, and parents could care less. So they deserve what they ask for. Uh, and several of those parents said that they also use this as an opportunity to talk with their kids about things like work and labor and getting paid what you're worth. So this is a tentative deal. It will become final once the union votes to ratify it, once Alameda County accepts the contract, and once Oakland Unified also votes to accept it as well. In Oakland, Chris Sanchez, NBC Bay Area News. Very nice. I like the parents too, especially the last one. He's like, "Hey, man, they got problems with the kids. Like, right. this, is, this, is a, this is a tough job. It's like, right. it's like, give them what they need. Give them what they need." He's like, "My, yeah, I know my kid. He's freaking crazy. So I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad to get rid of him for six or seven hours a day. If they have to deal with him, they should get paid more." Um, yeah, that's that. That's absolutely true. So good on them. Fifteen percent pay raise is nothing to sniff at. Um, they also got they got that taken all the way up the pay scale too. So everyone got a bump um, from the top on down and the bottom on up. Um, five thousand dollars does not sound like a lot in a bonus, but that's huge for a teacher. A teacher making fifty-five k a year, or five thousand, a big amount. It's just a ten percent bonus, basically, a ten yeah, percent exactly. on their salary bonus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that pays the rent for probably a couple months at least on its own. So that's that's huge for them. Um, and then yeah, the other pieces are enormous, like uh, counselors for. The, that's what I really enjoyed about. The, I very appreciated about the teacher's position is that they weren't just looking out for their. Obviously, they have number one, right? They have their wages and their their conditions, but they're also looking to you know, in, improve situations for students, right? More services for homeless students, more counseling, more uh, uh, performing arts and arts teachers, uh, more librarians, more support, because they understand that that helps them do their job better too, right? It's not just good for the students to have all that support. Having those students supported like that makes their job easier, right? And gives them more support and people that they can count on to help educate. So they can uh, focus on the thing that they're supposed to focus on. Correct. And they don't have to serve as the counselor, librarian, you know, arts. They can just do the, the job that they are there to do. Um, and that's huge, right? And uh, and kids themselves and the students themselves, the less they have to worry about all the shit that's going on outside of school, right? If they can get a meal, it's a hot meal at school. If they can find a way to ha- to housing through services at the school, right? If they can find uh, these kind of other support services, counseling uh, for for grief or for mental health, they're going to be better students. They're going to be better prepared to go in the classroom and learn at the end of the day. Um, and that's what we want, right? That's what's going. That's really what's going to improve education. I think. There's plenty of people know what to do. The teachers know what to do, right? Uh, most of them, <laughs> they know what to do. They know they know how to teach. It's not a question of whether or not our, and it's not a question of whether or not our children can learn either. Right? They absolutely can, and our teachers can teach, and we've got the right idea. It's just you know creating an environment where that it, that's conducive to learning. Pretty much all that we're trying to do. Right to the um, extent that the the school can even control that, because there's going to be things that are far outside of the school's control where those things are going to make it tough anyway. And so if the school is better staffed, better equipped to deal with maybe 
maybe some of the things that the students bring from outside of the school by having counselors, uh, maybe even, right. maybe, maybe it's not necessarily even the counselor, maybe the library staff, maybe the kid loves to read or the student loves right. to read. And so they're able to like, they're able to maybe cope better with some of the problems in the outside world because now they have access, better access to a library or maybe, maybe better lunches so that they're, everybody's better fed. Like there's just like, you know, these are, these are young, these are like young people. These are like not adults. They're not, you know, yeah. we, we don't have them fending for themselves and we, that's for a reason. And so when they yeah. show up at the school, it should, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be having to fend for themselves in like, like, I don't know, it should be a place where you don't have to, where. Yeah. Where you get the support you need, right? Whatever, you know, whatever it is, um, you're going to get that, um, even if you have to ask for it. Um, so speaking of bringing things to school, right. And mental health. And of course, of course mm. you get the, 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 our next story, uh, takes that and takes that to the, the next level um and what happens when students do feel unsafe and 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 threatened right and this is what happens and of course parents <laughs> re react with uh with sort of the opposite reaction that they would in the last story so let's hear more from fox too concerned parents and teachers packed a meeting tonight one week after that student was arrested good evening i'm julie hayner and i'm mike meback parents want the school district to be more transparent when incidents happen on campus New at 10, KTVU's LaMonica Peters live at Hoover Middle School in San Jose, where tonight's meeting was held. LaMonica. I just got to say, LaMonica is like, does just so much work for this network. Seriously, she seems to be on every story we, we run. <laughs> right. Every time it's KTVU Fox 2, it's LaMonica. And LaMonica, that, that blouse is just, oh, God, you, you, look, you, look, you look great. Girl, girl, you look, girl, you look so good. And do they found a way to backlight her hair? So it's just, it looks, this is a great shot for a nice And she shot has to do this exterior. herself or with her camera person, right? This is, she's responsible for all this. It depends. She could, I mean, I think LaMonica, she's rolling around enough stories. They probably have a camera person with her, but yeah, a lot of the reporters are doing it all themselves these days. They set it all up. So, uh, but yeah, great, great job with the lighting and everything. She looks great. The meeting started with the superintendent, San Jose police and other agencies talking about safety and communications procedures. But the parents say they were still frustrated with the way the district communicated with them during and after the emergency. In this past week, I had both of my children at different schools afraid for their lives at school. A student at Willow Glen High School in San Jose was caught with a ghost gun and knife on campus last week. Two school resource officers seized the weapons and the school was placed on lockdown. Parents also say a threat was recently made at Lincoln High. Willow Glen Middle School teacher Ruth Ammons spoke about her concerns. I just sent you guys an email asking about your due diligence for safety. What are we going to do? Two-thirds of our cameras aren't working. I got no response. We aren't trained completely to how to manage and navigate these traumas that are going on. As the parent of two students in the district, Trudy McKenna said teachers are on the front line and the feedback they give should be heard and taken seriously. Specifically moving forward, I'd like to see us start by listening to our teachers who are in the classrooms with our students. We just heard. Parents who spoke said they wanted clear-cut answers about proper communication for emergency situations at school. Some complained the district didn't immediately inform parents about what was happening during the lockdown. This is the piece that I... I Wait a minute, hold on. If there's a dangerous situation going on at the school, I don't think inform, making sure every individual parent knows exactly what's going on is going to fucking keep the kids safe. Thing, like, uh, 
Yeah, we, we can get into this a little more, but what happened, like the kid brought a ghost a gun to school. It was found out. The school resource officer, the police officer who's, you know, has to be on campus or near campus who responds to these things, responded uh, to the complaint. Within three minutes, the student was apprehended. The gun was taken, you know, uh, was taken from him. And there was no threat. No one got hurt. And somehow in those three minutes where, you know, the school is pretty much taking care of the most immediate need, which is neutralizing the threat, right? They're supposed to like send an email to parents or a text to all their parents and say like, hey, shit's going down at the school, right? Because that's going to solve everything, right? That's going to solve everything to have a thousand parents suddenly descend on the school to pick up their kids. Right. Like by the, like you, I would think God. that, I would think that appropriate, I, like no, uh, <laughs> a good would be by the end of the day, letting, letting kind of parent like, but also like you don't, don't, doesn't the school district have like a media? Wait, didn't you used to do a thing like that for the school district where you talk to the media? I, I may have. It may have been for a district like this one, possibly. <laughs> so you have yeah, that no, person. They, they that, have, so you have I that know exactly person. how these things go. You have yeah. that person have a press conference and the news is there. And, you know, after school's over, after everything's done and the, you, after you have some fucking information, yeah, you have, exactly. the, you, you have the, the, the person whose job that is go talk to the press and go, this happened today. We're real glad right. we're, you know, we're real glad that um, it wasn't worse. You know, after we found this weapon, as is policy, we had to lock down the school to make sure there were no other weapons that the student right. hadn't stashed weapons. We interviewed some of the right. students, uh, friends to make sure everything was cool. And then now your kids are at home. Like, I don't understand. Right. What are the, what are they, what the fuck do these people want? Like if the that's teachers the are up, if the teachers are up there being like, I don't know, I didn't know what was going on. That's different because they work there. You know, and well, there's not, and the thing is, it's like teachers, right? Like, there's usually there's never a shortage of like one or two teachers at a site who just don't like administration for whatever reason, right? They have beef, and they're just going to complain about everything, and they do. It's just like any employees, right, in any work site in any industry, right? There's always someone who you know them, right? Like they just complain about everything, and they're never going to be satisfied. And that's pretty much the parents <laughs> in any school in any school district. The good wife and I are already looking forward to this when we get to go to board meetings and be like, we are parents in your district. Um, and we have a problem, um, but we're actually going to have legit problems. Um, yeah, they want, they want things that are completely unreasonable, right? Like they want basically like th they want their kids, they want the school district to vouch for the safety of their students at all times, you know, hundred percent of the time, no matter what, an incident like this will never, ever happen. And they can't do that. They can't promise that. So what do they want? They want walls around the schools. They want like, you know, cameras in every corner. They want like metal detectors at the school entrances. That's still not going to solve the problem, right? So it's that they want, they want just assurances that nothing like this will ever, ever happen again, which can't possibly be made. And they also want to know more as it's happening, after it's happening. They want to know everything, right? They want to know everything that, that they can possibly know about it because uh, somehow they're going to have this, like knowing that information is going to help them protect their kid more or solve the situation more. Like their kid is safe. Like we just said, like the system worked, the plan, the safety plan, whatever it is, worked. No one got hurt. Even the kid that probably needs some mental health services for bringing, a, you know, having to bring a gun to school. Has anyone bothered to ask that kid why he brought the gun to school? You know, did he feel threatened? What's going on there, right? Um, if it were a white kid and not a Latino kid, would everyone be like so upset about the kid and wanting him to go to jail? And get, like so, someone even said like he should be hanged, I guess, at this meeting, like, ran, you know, one of the asides in the back of the room <clears throat> from someone who was there. I, over, I, I heard from um, if it was a white kid, you know, would, would it be the same? There was a white kid that actually did literally shoot up a school. I don't know if we covered it. I forget in down ballot, but a couple of years ago in this neighborhood, the elementary school that feeds this school, a, wh a white kid from the neighborhood got a rifle from his parents, his parents' rifle, and went and shot up the cameras, the cameras that they say aren't functioning, 
at the at the elementary school. And what happened then? Yeah, there was there were concerns about safety, but no one was talking about putting that kid in jail. They were talking, oh, he needs help. He needs services, right? His parents could, you know, um, obviously his poor parents, right? Um, so it's just like this dichotomy, this disconnect between what you know what's really going to keep your kids safe and and what you think keep your kids safe and what you think you need and what you think you need as a parent and what what you think you're entitled to frankly as a parent right like i get i i i like to think i would get it i'd like to think i would get it who knows if i was in this situation maybe you know i would be just as uh hyphy as they are but i like to think that i would understand and i would appreciate and give them the benefit now especially if my kid came home safe Right. Like at the end of the day, that's all. That's what I need. I'm going to get educated and I want them coming home safe. And if you do those things, I'm not going to have a huge issue with you. <laughs> so that the, the, the other thing is like the parents who are like, oh, this was a, a bad thing that happened, but it seems like the system worked. They don't show up at the meeting. Oh, hell no. God, they have better things to do. Right. They have they, they're, they're busy taking care of their kids. Like where are all these their, these parents kids? They have to get all get child care. Is grandma taking care of all their kids while they're in, you know, griping at the why, why aren't they home talking to their kids about like, how do you feel? How? This one woman's like, my kids fear for their life. Like, really? Did they say that? Did are, are you putting those words in their mouth? Like, did you put those words in them and tell them they should be afraid for their life? Like, what are you doing to solve the problem by talking to your kid? And and yeah, no one has the words for this. Nobody has the answers for this. Even the counselors don't have know exactly what to say. You just talk to them. You talk to them about how they're feeling. You ask them how they're doing. It's not that hard, you know, and it's not brain surgery. And they're not going to hate you for asking how they feel, right? Yeah. Like, oh, mom. Oh, mom. Leave me alone. I'm fine. But they're not going to hate you. Nothing. You know. Nothing wrong with asking your kid how they feel. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, but I don't even know what the oil is supposed to be in this case. <laughs> right. It, they, that's the thing. In the district, if, if all the district can do, and all we would do when I was in these situations, because we had to do these meetings, we did one when that kid shot up that other school. We had a meeting just like this in a cafeteria, and you. It's like letting the valve, unleashing the valve. Right. You just let them talk. You let them ask their questions. You let them get it off their chest. And it's going to, they're going to feel like they're unheard. And then two weeks later, they go on to something else. Like the PTA has some other issue that they, they need to deal with. Right. Um, and it's over. Right. And so I hate to say it, but that's really how you just, you just, it's triage. You just do it. You check the box, you do the community meeting, and then you move on because there's so many more important things to be doing day to day at a school district. Um, and there are legitimate things that they do obfuscate and that they do hide from parents and that they do gloss over in terms of how they're running the school district, the education side of things. Right. They do have issues that need to be addressed. And that's even worse that we're spending all this time. It makes it even worse that we're spending all this time and the parents are spending all this time on this when they should be thinking about the more fundamental things that the school is there for. So <clears throat> we are going to move on to uh, car versus building. This time uh, it's uh, the Sonoma County Sheriff's <laughs> edition. Let's check. Let's see what happened here. Lucky to be alive. That's how a Santa Rosa woman is feeling tonight after a car launched into her home. The driver of that car arrested for DUI. And we've learned she's also the wife of the Sonoma County Sheriff. NBC Bay Area's Alyssa Gord is in Santa Rosa and spoke with the homeowner and her husband who are still in shock. I heard the revving of the engine first and then I heard no brakes and then I heard this like crackle. Lori Johnson says she was in her recliner watching TV just before 1 a.m. when this gray Tesla hurtled into well, Then her you home. didn't hear the revving of the engine. Furniture and glass <laughs> towards her. It, it's almost like a, um, an earthquake but with concrete coming through. The two by fours were laying on the side of me with nails. I had my knees up. I had Ooh. debris. I had debris in my hair. I had sheetrock. I hear her screaming. 
the love of my life. The crash woke up her husband, Mark Johnson, who was terrified. Paramedics took Lori to the hospital to be treated for cuts and bruises. Police tell us that car traveled up Montecito. It pushed into this yard, shoving aside trees, pushing away bushes, and launching into the side of the home, which is now boarded up. She airborne and it was stuck. And then I saw her lights, I saw the blinkers, and I heard her. Police identified the driver as 47-year-old Natasha Whittinghill of Santa Rosa. She was arrested for felony DUI causing an injury. Police say she has since posted bail. We didn't find out till today, about 11, that she was um, the wife of the sheriff and that was pretty hard. Sonoma County Sheriff Eddie Engram posted on Facebook acknowledging his wife was involved in the crash. He noted as a husband he's concerned for his wife's well-being, but said as a citizen and as a sheriff, I am also concerned about the person inside the home who suffered injuries. I understand that our community will have more questions and want answers. We have a zero tolerance, especially when it comes to DUI collisions, and we just follow that all the way through. Um, we just want to make sure there's no special treatment, no matter who the individual is. Police say DUIs are fairly common, but DUI drivers hitting homes are not. Lori is now home from the hospital. She and her husband are exhausted and shaken up. It's just dramatic. I'm a big baby when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I think the worst part was to see the video because I'm very lucky. If you see the inside of my house, I'm pretty lucky. After this, they're thinking they want to move out of this house. In Santa Rosa, <laughs> Alyssa Gord, NBC, Bay Area News. Not the worst, not the worst move. I mean, it's like, it's not like that this house is just going to always get hit by a car, but you could you'd see being like, I don't want to live here so much anymore after this happened here. Yeah. And probably not like the, the dude in San Jose who's had his car, his house run into what, like 13 times he said, or 40 times, or I forget what he said, 43 times. Um, see, so yeah, I, I, but I, I, I actually thought this story was on down ballot watch because i thought it'd be more about the the tie to the sheriff which is kind of interesting they really they didn't so much bury the lead they just really didn't dig into that at all so this is more of the human interest story thankfully the, this woman is okay good for good on her and her husband um that she's all right and everyone's safe but yeah i'd like to learn more about what's going on with the, the sheriff's wife That's well well uh you know she needs help she's uh she's yeah, she's obviously. in she's in crisis you know because yeah. we we talked about this a minute ago it's like you know th this would be like uh, would the sheriff be saying anyway whatever the sheriff should have anyway this luckily enough the sheriff has really nothing to do with this because this is the city yeah. the city the city prosecutor's office is going to be dealing with this as far as i know yeah. so so uh hopefully might be i mean my, the county the county county you know courts my my oh. process but at the same time it's like you're right like they can actually the good thing is hopefully they can just it's not that big a deal as far as that angle of the story and they can deal with the, the help that she needs yeah, if you're going airborne in a Tesla, there's something going on there. <laughs> or maybe she should just get the book thrown at her like anybody else who did this. I like that. I didn't even hear the engine rev. <laughs> I so, hear this e. So we're we're kind of up against it here. I think we're gonna yeah. we're gonna just do the one of these in and another thing. Uh, the works. one we're not gonna do. Uh, there was a lion in San Jose. Rar. That's the story. This one. Listen. It's just, it's very, it's very. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. It's just very basic, everybody. Artisanal cupcakes. I bet some, one of these people has an artisanal cupcake on their paddleboard. Yo. Yoga on a paddleboard. I mean, come on. How can you get more down ballot? We've got a new weekend activity that you may want to try to shake off all the stress this week. So Brian Hackney, he takes us to Sausalito, where people are taking their yoga practice to the next level. Is he on there and on a paddleboard? 
for breath work. For breath work? For space. Um, it's a fun thing to do with a group of people. Lee Claxton has been teaching her paddleboard yoga class for about 15 years. Harry, why don't you come on around here? They paddle about a quarter of a mile from Liberty Ship Marina in Sausalito. We're going to paddle out around the corner. Make sure that is zipped up tight. Over to a nearby beach. We drop anchors so everybody's spaced throughout class. Reach that arm up. We've been out here in the rain. We've been out here in the wind this year and they keep coming back week after week. And pivot and turn, look over the opposite shoulder. Because your surface is constantly moving. That gentle rocking you're getting from the wind this morning is really helping center you. It takes your yoga practice sort of up a couple notches because you feel it when you get back in the studio and you practice on the mat. Keep lifting those hips to the sky, press your ribs towards your thighs. Beautiful. So this helps you de-stress. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, in, in the studio, you de-stress, you're working on those peasants doing this in a studio <laughs> but your mind can wander <laughs> with no here. goats you're paying attention to the birds, the seals swimming around us, where you are in space, where you are on the board. And so it really helps you focus more inside breathing in and out, letting go. But doesn't it increase the stress level to um I know you want to ask that question, does anybody fall in? Very rarely. Um, this time of year I take great care to make sure people don't fall in. So I keep my eyes on everybody and make sure that you know everybody is in the right place. But in the fall, fuck it. They can just fall yeah. in the... <laughs> I was going to say, like in the winter, that goes out the window. Center, sit down low, lift those toes, reach those hands up high. Right knee left, left knee right. Press, 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 press. How do you feel after that? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Relax. There's nothing like it. It's just the best. You're good. Incredible. Yes. De-stressed. De-stressed. De That's it. Sometimes I say at the end of class, whatever you want to throw overboard, throw overboard and leave in the water. All right. Don't they host classes several times a week. Check out their website on board SUP for more information. That is the goddamn most fucking basic thing I've ever seen in my oh, life. And then don't forget to follow them on social media too. Yeah, like at, even at, at the paddleboard end. yoga. <laughs> um, all right, yeah. So if you're an, a nice white lady from Sausalito, you know, feel free to go out and join these ladies. It seems like they're having a good time. Uh, I understand why they had to like go paddle around to this beach. They couldn't just meet at the beach and just put their paddle boards out in the water and, and do this, or like they couldn't do it at a pool. Like I, I don't understand why there needs it needs to be in like actual bay or ocean. It seemed like they could do it anywhere. There's water. Uh, well, you're going to try it sometime? No. No? Not no. for you? Do you do yoga at all, like in, in studio or anywhere else? No, but I should. I should stretch more. Everybody should. Absolutely. The, the bad baby likes to stretch, actually. We do, we do our stretches in the morning because daddy's getting older, so it's harder to carry her around. Very nice. Huh. Well, all right, well. You going to read the show up? Yeah, I think we'll, we'll do it tonight. You want to help us read it out, bad baby? Well, this has been another wonderful episode of Down Ballot. Happy to be here as always with you, producer Dave. Please, everyone, stay tuned for uh, Conspiracy Bingo, which comes up every Friday after Down Ballot. We do this show 7.30 p.m. live every Friday, except when we don't. Uh, you can check out our website, echoplexmedia.com, for all the ways that you can give, support, listen, uh, watch all of our other shows. Uh, you absolutely should. Stay tuned, like I said, for Conspiracy Bingo. Make sure that you get your vax, wear a mask, if you want to wear pants, that's totally cool. But since I'm in L.A., we'll make that optional. This is Audible Smoke, and I hope you have a great evening. <laughs>
time to get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing queen Now get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene Yeah, we do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Just when the magic starts kicking in I hear relapse playing and you know it's time to head in Alright everybody, now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it and then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want What we want to do And what we want is to jam So sit back and Shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is is that I don't think logically Stone to E take you on a psychedelic odyssey Now inside motherfuckers is rocking me And outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rocky the rolly all the sexy girl be jocking me Ain't too drunk to fuck but I'll probably do a sloppily We do what we want and what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Dance with the band enjoy the band We do what we want What we want to do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band
If you like what we're doing at Echoplex and aren't into Twitch, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Echoplex. For $5, you can get every show from beginning to end sent to you as an MP3, even the stuff we bleep out because it's too spicy for Twitch. Echoplex would not be where we are today if it wasn't for the community support we receive. Find out all the ways you can support the show at echoplexmedia.com slash support.